Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, I want to thank you for joining in the program today and for continuing to watch us as we continue to unpack, unfold some things from the book of Revelation. As you know, if you've been watching us for any period of time, we have been uh, dealing with this for quite some time. Uh, once again, you can go back to our YouTube page and watch anything that we have shared to date and that are archived, uh, and you can get those things and watch them again and again and again, and the references that are there and the resources that we have available to help you understand some of the things that we're teaching. We're trying very much to document it, and we are receiving such great response from literally around the globe that uh, um, we want to say to you, our partners, we deeply, deeply, deeply are grateful for to you who support this ministry and help us take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. And as this new year begins, you know, one of the things, I, I guess, probably the worst thing that we are really bad at, and probably to our own, uh, you know, our own fault, is that we are horrible at raising funds or we, 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 we don't have a whole lot of uh, understanding about how to, you know, build a partner base. We have no gimmicks. We have no, uh, you know, uh, things to try to grab you and manipulate you or to get you to give. We simply ask the Holy Spirit uh, to lay upon the hearts of those who follow us, who believe in what we're saying, not to just sit there on the couch and wait on someone else to uh, support the ministry. We need your help and we need your partnership. We need you to commit and covenant with us to become partners with this ministry this year. Don't feel like that sometimes the small amounts you give are insignificant. It is the faithful monthly partners of $10, $20 a month, $100 a month, or, or whatever you can do that help us take the gospel around the world. If you can become a partner with us, we really deeply appreciate that. And so that's all we know how to do is tell you that we need partners. And, uh, you know, we believe God will supply, but we believe God supplies through His people. So uh, call the number on the screen or go to our website and become a partner with our ministry today. Uh, I want to get into the Word again. And um, that's, uh, you know, as you know, if you follow us, we spend very little time talking about finances. But uh, we, I did feel the need as this beginning of the year to just kind of encourage some of you to become partners with this ministry and help us to take the gospel around the world. We really are truly making a difference. I want to go back in my teaching series. We've come through the book of Revelation and over several weeks uh, towards the end of last year, we dealt with a lot of uh, things, but I want to go to the seventh chapter of Revelation. I need to get into this today. But the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation is where we're going to start today. And uh, uh, we'll begin reading in verse one. It says, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor, any, or, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, neither the trees nor the trees till, till, watch this, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, of the tribe of Judah, 
were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000 and after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne, under the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Or where did they come from? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said, These are they which came out of great tribulation, have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. Neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. Now, I won't get through all of this today uh, on this particular program, but I want to start out by saying that one of the first things I want to note in this seventh chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, remember we taught for weeks in advance uh, in chapter 5 and chapter 6, the opening of the seals of the book. And what we showed you was that these are the same things that Jesus prophesied would come. In Matthew 24, he said, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. Uh, there's going to be famines. There's going to be uh, earthquakes. They're going to deliver you up to be killed. There's going to be persecutions. Uh, there's going to be uh, wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, for the end is not yet. And Jesus prophesied all of that, Matthew 24. Then he sets a time text in verse 34 of Matthew 24, and he says, this generation won't pass until all these things have come to pass. And we have continued to reiterate that a lot of the stuff that, or the stuff that Jesus was prophesying about would happen during that particular time slot. Jesus is the one who set the time text there, as well as the writers of Revelation who said, the time is at hand. Uh, they which pierce me will look upon me. Uh, uh, behold, I come quickly. Uh, don't seal up the words of the vision of this prophecy, for the time is at hand. On and on he gives them that time text that sets that time during this period of time. But what he, when he prophesied those things and the sealed book is open and all these things begin, the sun is darkened, the moon is turned into blood, and uh, all the catastrophes that you see uh, in the book of Revelation as they're beginning to unfold are almost like creation in reverse. It's almost like a decreation which that is really apocalyptic, uh, really apocalyptic language to show you that an old creation was in fact passing off of the scene and a new creation is coming on the scene. Now what I want you to see is that what he says in this particular uh, scripture, which I think is powerful to the believer in Revelation the seventh chapter, he says that uh, he told the angel that was holding the four winds 
uh, of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth. In other words, none of these judgments would come on the earth or on the sea. And there was another angel that ascended from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Don't hurt the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, uh, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. I was thinking about this today before I came on the program, and uh, immediately I began to think about, uh, you know, uh, I began to think about uh, Ephesians, I believe it is uh, one. Let me, let me go there quickly. Ephesians, first of all, let me give you this scripture. The book of Ephesians chapter one and verse number three, it said, blessed, I'm sorry, not, I'm sorry, that's chapter one, verse number 13. It says, in whom ye also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of His glory. When I think about the sealing of the saints, I don't think about uh, just a literal mark being put upon somebody, but I think about being sealed with the Spirit of God. Because what God is doing, listen, I'm telling you something, there's something powerful, not only historically, but there's something powerful in the life of the believer today who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise that protects us from the wrath of God on any level. Because he says, don't hurt the earth of the sea, nor any, don't, don't pour out any wrath or judgment until I have sealed my servants in their forehead. There is a protection of being a believer of a God. God has, listen, let me, let me get you another scripture. First Thessalonians, <coughs> excuse me. First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. In verse number nine, it says this. Well, let me, uh, it, Let me go ahead and just read it from the, the fifth chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. Now remember, Paul is talking to people at Thessalonica. While the scripture was written for us, it was not necessarily written to us. If this letter was written to a church and a people at Thessalonica, then it's going to have relevance to them. And he is saying to them, of the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need that I should write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now the day of the Lord always throughout the scripture, when you go back in Isaiah, you go back in the prophets, you go back into uh, Old Testament scriptures, and even through the New Testament, when it talks about the day of the Lord, it was talking about the coming of a day of impending judgment that was about to come, and catastrophes and judgments that were about to come. And so when Paul is saying you yourself know perfectly that this day so comes as a thief in the night, in other words, when he talked to the about, I'm going to come on you like a thief in the night, and I'm going to come, this day will come on you like a thief, that what he's saying to them is that there's a day that was coming upon them rapidly, <coughs> that when they would say peace and safety, then sudden destruction would come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they would not escape. He was saying to them, you know, uh, they, and they were, they were, matter of fact, in the book of Peter, there were scoffers that would come. And they said to Peter, where's the promise of he's coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. They were mocking them in that period because they expected this imminent judgment to come during their time period because they understood the prophecy of Jesus that said that this generation will not pass away. So they're saying, where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as, uh, all things continue as they were. And Peter comes back and he says, listen, God's not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And so he, he began to declare, listen, the reason God has delayed it all, and it was, was because God was not willing that any should perish, because He was giving them the full amount of time from 30 AD when Jesus made the prophetic word, this generation would not pass. From 30 AD to 70 AD was a transition period and a lap over of two covenants intertwined. While people were making this transition, they were scoffing and saying, where's the promise then of this coming? Where's the fulfillment of the prophetic word that Jesus gave? Where's the fulfillment of the prophets of old? They were expecting it. And Peter said, listen, God's not slack concerning His promise, but what He's doing is giving you every opportunity to repent because there is a day of the Lord that's coming. There's a day of judgment that is coming, and it is not somewhere out in 2015. It would happen during this particular period of time that would be relevant to these Thessalonians because Paul is writing to them saying, you yourselves know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's a day that's to remove something. And it'll come like a thief in the night, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon one with a child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. That, that day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, there are people that listen to the words of Jesus, that listen to the words of the apostles, that listen to them talk about these last days things in their context and in their proper time slot and said that you're not going to be overtaken as a thief, but you're children of the light and children of the day, and we're not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. He's talking to them. He's telling them, this is relevant to you people alive here. He said, you know, let's not, let's not be asleep. He's talking to his contemporaries. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God, watch this, this is the verse I came to get. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. And, you and be we beseech you, brethren, that know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, I want you to see that what Paul was saying to this church at Thessalonica, as he's saying to them, uh, listen, God has not appointed you to wrath, but he's appointed you to salvation. As a matter of fact, when he tells them, when you see all these things come to pass, lift up your head, your redemption draws nigh. When he's talking about redemption, he's not talking about your flight out of here. He's talking about your salvation was nearer and the fullness of the salvation of which they had only received the earnest of. In Ephesians 1, the down payment that sealed them was what gave them protection against this imminent judgment that was about to take place because God had not appointed his believers to wrath. Uh, when, you know, uh, Jesus gave the prophecy in Matthew 24, he said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, then if you are in Judea, you need to flee to the mountains. If you're in Jerusalem, it's time to get out of Dodge, in other words. 
for every believer that, un, that believed the prophecy of Jesus, there were four sieges, I believe it was, of Jerusalem. But during one of the last sieges, or during one of the sieges, for some unknown reason, the Roman general simply backed up. And every believer that heard Jesus prophesy and say, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, it's time to get out of Dodge. Believers begin to escape that city and fled to a town called Pella. So that jo Josephus, the great historian, says that there were no believers or no Christians that were killed in the destruction of Jerusalem. If they were, there were very few because most of them heeded the warning of Jesus that said, God has not appointed us to wrath. And they escaped and got out of there because they believed the word of the Lord. I believe these are the people that were sealed. I think we could see something very, very similar to this. Let me just take a look at this also in the book of Ezekiel, uh, in Ezekiel, uh, the ninth chapter. In, in the ninth chapter of Ezekiel, it says like this, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one, one man among them was clothed with linen and with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar, and the glory of God of Israel was going up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said, mine, In mine hearing, go after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old, young, both maids and little children, women, but come not near unto any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house, and he said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the course with the slain. Go ye there forth. And they went forth and slew in the city, and it came to pass while they were slaying them. And I was left, and I fell upon my face and cried, and said, Ah, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel? in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem. Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord has forsaken uh, the earth, and the Lord seeth not. As, and as for me also, mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense upon their way, upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported this matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. To me, again, this is a powerful prophetic picture of an imminent judgment that was coming upon Israel and Jerusalem that God would send forth prophetically this vision to the prophet Ezekiel and say, but before you slay any, let me mark my servants in their forehead. I believe there's divine protection, folks, upon God's people, uh, both past, present, and future. So even if I'm wrong concerning my timing of eschatology, I, I, I got to tell you that I believe the powerful thing that we need to embrace here is not to get in a fight over what time slot this is necessarily, except to say it doesn't matter where it is, God has sealed His servants in Ephesians 1 with a Holy Spirit of promise, and that there is divine protection upon the people of God. I cannot help but think about Psalm 91, 
that says that you do not have to worry about the terror that flies by night. You don't have to worry about the raging epidemic. You don't need to worry about uh, terrorism. You don't need to worry about Ebola. You don't need to worry about all, all of these things because he said, only with your eyes shall you see and behold the reward of the wicked. Now, let me tell you that the reward of the wicked that was at this particular season in history that Revelation 7 is talking about was there was an imminent judgment that was coming upon an apostate Israel. But in the midst of the story is not always about the judgment. It's about people being redeemed from that judgment. And so when I begin to see that there were 12,000 sealed in the book of Revelation out of every tribe, out of uh, a man, uh, 12,000 was sealed. Uh, I believe the book of Revelation uses the same terminology again in the 14th chapter to me, which is talking about the same group of people, 144,000. These are they, number one, that follow the lamb wherever he goes. These are they that uh, are not defiled with women. These are they that are the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. So when I see this 144,000 sealed, just like every other number in the book of Revelation, I do not see this as a literal number the number uh, 144,000 really is multiples of 12. It's interesting to me how that the numbers throughout the scriptures in the book of Revelation especially are highly, highly symbolic, but uh, they're multiples of sevens or multiples of twelves, and God seems to like those numbers. But in these uh, uh, multiples of, of 12, which is the number of divine government, it is God establishing, I believe, a new Israel of God that is made up. Now watch this. Stay with me. Don't quit me now. It is made up of both Jew and Gentile. It is the people of God who were always the chosen of God, the seed of Abraham, the children of faith. And I, I don't think I'll have enough prop, uh, time to get into it on this program. Perhaps we'll be able to in the next one. But uh, what I see this as is a people who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit out of the 12 tribes. And, and one of the things that really catches my attention that I want to get in yet on this program is that the, list this whole group of people in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, it lists them beginning with, I want you to see this, Revelation the 7th chapter, it begins with the tribe. It says, and of the tribe, this is verse 5, and of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Now, if you go back and you watch, especially Old Testament precedents, it is imperative that the firstborn is always mentioned first. There's a, there is an order of mention. And the firstborn of the natural seed of Israel is the tribe of Reuben. So the fact that this one starts with the tribe of Judah it tells me that this is talking about more than just a natural genealogy, but it is talking about a spiritual Israel of God, which is made up, now stay with me, of both Jew and Gentile. These are the first fruits of those who received the redemption and received their Messiah and received their Messianic King and their kingdom and were the sealed of the Lord. They are the wave of the sheath of the first fruit. They are the remnant that the book of Revelation talks about. That doesn't mean that God ain't going to do anything with anybody more. It means that uh, there's simply a wave of sheep that's a guarantee that a harvest is coming. 
And so these first fruits are sealed, and they are sealed uh, 144,000. But noticeably, what I begin to see also in this sealing is that noticeably that one of the tribes that is missing is the tribe of Dan. I think that's very unique. And you say, why is that? Because the tribe of Dan, uh, his name means judgment. And the reason I believe the tribe of Dan is not mentioned in the book of Revelation is because for these sealed ones, these believers, their judgment is not in their future. Their judgment is their past. That the things that are coming in the book of Revelation to the believer are not God appointing us to wrath. They are not coming catastrophes to the believer. They are what you have been redeemed from. That's why they sing the song of redemption, and they sing the song of the Lamb, and they follow the Lamb wherever He goes, is because they've been redeemed to God uh, out, of these, out of these nations. I believe there's also an order to how they're sealed and what their names mean. But let, let me say, first of all, again, that Judah's name uh, would be uh, the first one mentioned, and it is evident, uh, according to the book of Hebrews, that our Lord sprang out of Judah. So the, the reason I believe that this is a spiritual lineage is because the firstborn of the spiritual lineage or the seed to whom God made the promise to to start out with was to not seeds as of many, but to thy seed and to one seed, which is Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. So he's dealing with the true seed of Abraham, which are the children of faith, were always the children of faith, will continue to be the children of faith, whether you are of a Jewish descent or of any other descent. What makes you the seed of Abraham is that Abraham, according to the book of Galatians, is not our race father. He is our faith father. And so God is sealing these people, I believe, and bringing us into an understanding that there is a people that are coming forth that are going to be covered and protected by the coming catastrophes that are in the book of Revelation. Uh, man, to me, that's powerful. Listen, I, I would think this would be incredibly good news to people who would get a hold of it and say, you know what, just the possibility that we don't have to possibly look for hell on earth would be incredibly good news to me. I don't know, uh, it sure would be to me that I don't need to stock up seven years worth of food or water somewhere and wait on, hide from uh, the coming things. What I need to do is arise and begin to be the salt and the light in the earth and to be the seed of God in the earth. We've been redeemed, folks, and we've got a seal in our head. God has absolutely redeemed us from His wrath. He's not angry. He's not mad. Hallelujah. We're living in a new covenant. Thanks for watching us. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. Become a partner with us today. If you believe in what we're doing, get behind the gospel and support it and help us take it around the world. Thank you for tuning in. Tell your friends about us. God bless you. Till next week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.